We're taking a break just for one week from the Gospel of John and thinking this morning about aromas or smells that remind us of bygone days or smells that we associate even with church. Anyway, so I need someone to help me at the very start of the service this morning. And um, Anya, is your baby gone? I mean, I mean, I don't mean you've got rid of him, but he's in crash. Okay, so would you like to bring Matt and come up and join me for two minutes? All right, it's okay. All right, but you're going to have to, like, promise not, you're going to have to close your eyes at some point, okay? All right, I, w- I won't do anything terribly, terribly really bad, you. all right? I know you don't really trust me, but, you know, it's okay. okay. All right, okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you four things to smell, all right? And I want you to try and guess what the smell is. Oh. You hit tuna. You hit the smell. Would it make you sick? Yeah. Oh, it's definitely not tuna. Okay. <laughs> if you guess tuna, it's wrong, all right? Okay, so first one, you need to close your eyes, all right? I'm not going to do anything to use specifically, all right? All right, okay. Okay. Um, I'll tell you what to do. Give me your hand, Matthew. Okay, okay don't worry. I'm not going to do anything other than... All right, okay. So do you want to just smell Matthew's hands and tell me what you think? It's like smelly, like, you know, man's deodorant. Man's deodorant, okay. No idea what type it is? No. Sorry, what deodorant your dad might have worn? Okay, yeah, it's Old Spice. All right, you got it? Yeah, I was close. Actually, one of the interns in church said that she really likes it. Like, 22 going on 52, do you know what I mean? Is that, be, is that because, Cammy, do you wear Old Spice? Seriously. Do you pinch it off your dad? Like, nobody of your age wears Old Spice. Is it bad? Is it bad? Okay. All right, number two, all right. Okay. So, um... Anya, you need to close your eyes for this one again, all right? Okay. All right. Okay, you can smell it. Okay, you can hold on to it and smell it. You're rubbish at this. You're rubbish? Okay. No, no, he's got his eyes open. Oh, well, do do, do you know what it is? Okay. Uh, Um, Talc. What sort of Talc? Uh, yeah, yeah, but what sort of talcum powder? Johnson's, Johnson's baby powder. All right, it's actually very strong, isn't it? Johnson's yeah, baby powder. That's true. Isn't it? Yep. You can smell it a mile away. Okay, good one. And is, is that a good memory? Memory of baby. nappies and babies and um, neutral. Neutral. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Third one. Okay. Eyes closed again. All right. Need the back of your hand this time. Okay. All right. Okay. It's not, you won't make you allergic to anything. All right. Okay. Just a minute. I know that one. You know, oh, I thought you might know that one. All right. Okay. Have a both smell that. Mm-hmm. Is it? Yes, it again. Deep heat. Deep heat. Yeah. All right. Can you, you know, smell it down there, will you? All right. I, I just one of my favourite yeah. smells. See, I used to love whenever, you know, a cold winter's 
afternoon, Saturday afternoon, been playing football, go into the showers or go into, back into the changing rooms and all you can smell is heat. deep heat. Yeah. I didn't realise. Can I have your autograph? I only discovered a couple of weeks ago that Anya used to captain the Northern Ireland ladies football team. Is, is that right? Did you used to captain Northern Ireland? A while ago. I know it's a while ago, but... <laughs> but uh, so that, is that how you got the deep heat? Yeah. Did you used to put it on, like, before matches and stuff? Yeah. And so, after, yeah. So it's pleasant memory. Yeah. Okay. Last one. Okay. Last one. Oh. I'm struggling. Oh dear. Hold on a minute. Oh. Okay. Eggs. Eggs, not eggs. Give it to Matthew. Rotten eggs. Rotten eggs. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to take it down to the front row? You can. Take it down the front row and see if they can guess. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> okay, it'll go away in a wee while. It's actually, it reminds me of school days. Has anyone ever been in school when someone's let off a sting bomb? Okay, anyway, we'll leave it back here. All right. Thank you very much, guys. A little round of applause for... I need to go and wash your hands. Actually, I need to go and wash my hands as well, but anyway. Yeah, good idea. Okay. See, some, some smells, like, are really nice. Like... You wake up in the morning, you can smell new bread getting made in the kitchen. Dream on. Or you go somewhere and you can smell the coffee or smell the bacon. And it's just just lovely smells. Or smells like Johnson's baby powder remind you whenever you were changing the nappy into deep heat playing football. And then there are some rotten smells that just make you want to be sick. So this morning we're thinking rather strangely, about smells that God loves. You may wonder where I was going this morning. Aromas that God loves. We're not very sort of good at doing smells in evangelical churches. If you were part of other denominations, uh, you might be familiar with incense or whatever, but we tend not to do that. But actually, there's an awful lot of places in the Bible where It talks about things that smell well in God's eyes. And so this is the first one. The aroma of our prayers. So the altar of incense in the tabernacle that we read about in Exodus chapter 30. So the tabernacle of God and divided into the holy place and the holy of holies. And just before the curtain that divided the holy place from the holy of holies, there was a small altar, only about 18 inches by 18 inches, quite a small altar. And on it, they burned incense. 
And this is part of the instructions that was given. And it says, Aaron must burn fragrant incense on the altar every morning when he tends the lamps. He must burn incense again when he lights the lamps at twilight so that incense will burn regularly before the Lord for generations to come. And the instructions are really detailed. Essentially what they're trying to say is that all the time, day and night, there ought to be incense burning on the altar. It even gives you instructions about how to make the incense. And we know from what the Bible says, it was a sweet-smelling incense that lifted up to heaven. It's actually difficult to know, just reading the books of Exodus and Leviticus, what the incense represented. But there are other hints throughout the Bible that give us indications of what it was meant to represent. So, in the book of Psalms and in Psalm 141, this is how David expresses his prayer to God. I call to you, Lord. Come quickly to me. Hear me when I call to you. May my prayer be set before you like incense. Almost certainly recalling the incense in the temple, representing his prayer going up to God. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. And then in uh, the Gospel of Luke in chapter 1, we have the story there of Zechariah and Elizabeth, who were childless, and uh, they ultimately would become the parents of John the Baptist. And this is what it says. One occasion, whenever Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Do you know, it's funny, I've read that wee passage umpteen times, and yet it never really struck me until this week, the last part of that sentence, that as he put the incense on the altar and lit the incense as part of his duties as a priest, it says the worshippers were standing outside praying. So here again we have a link between the incense rising up from the altar and the prayers of the people of God. And we also find it over uh, in the book of Revelation on a couple of places, and uh, particularly here in Revelation 5. So the lamb, uh, referring to Christ, had taken the scroll that would unveil uh, the future uh, of the world. It says, The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, And they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. So you can see there that right throughout Scripture, from the days of Exodus right through to the book of Revelation, there is some connection between this burning of the incense and the prayers of God's people. Of course, it wasn't the actual burning of the incense itself that really pleased God. 
It was what it represented. God's people coming into his presence and interceding uh, before him. And so whenever we pray together, either individually or corporately, it's a nice smell in the heavenly realm. When God hears the prayers of his people, it's like sweet-smelling incense. It's a lovely aroma which he finds so acceptable. As I mention this, let me remind you again, as is in the bulletin, that on the Wednesday of Holy Week, we have another corporate church prayer gathering. We've been calling them the Foundry. And uh, so on that Wednesday night, again, we encourage uh, the house groups not to meet and for us to meet collectively as a congregation. And it's been lovely to see that so well attended in the last couple of times we've done that. Can I encourage you again to put that Wednesday in the middle of Holy Week in your diary so that we can come together and intercede before God? And you know, whenever we do, it'll be like the sweet burning of incense in the heavenly places. It'll be an aroma that God loves. There's a second aroma that we find uh, in Scripture, and that is the aroma associated with repentance. So again, throughout the Old Testament, uh, God's people were encouraged through the priests to bring burnt offerings for the sins of the people. And so, for example, here in Leviticus chapter 1, if the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, you are to offer a meal without defect. You must present it at the entrance to the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. And the priest is to burn all of it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Isn't it interesting, the number of places in the Bible where it talks about smells or aromas that God finds pleasing. So whenever God's people realize their sin, realize that they need to turn to him and find forgiveness and to seek his mercy. And the priest comes and he offers that burnt offering that, in a sense, is God's way through the shedding of the blood to make atonement for the sins of the people. Of course, we know that ultimately um, the blood of bulls and goats wouldn't take away sin forever. Only Christ, ultimately, who died for us, is able to do that. But nevertheless, throughout the Old Testament, when God's people came with a repentant attitude and sought God's forgiveness, that smell that rose up from the burnt offering was an aroma that was pleasing to the Lord. Of course, there are other places in the prophets where the opposite is the case. Sometimes God says that your sacrifices actually get up my nose, like the stink bomb. Actually, I really can't tolerate. So in the book of Amos chapter 5, God says, Do you know, I hate, it's quite strong language, I despise your religious festivals and your religious gatherings. Your assemblies are a stench to me. <laughs> okay, imagine God saying that to the people. There are times that 
when we gather together, <laughs> what you're doing is like a stink bomb. <laughs> it's just a stench. It gets up my nose. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings that normally would be seen as an aroma pleasing to the Lord, God says, I will not accept him. Because what he's saying there is that you're only going through the motions. You're actually not genuinely repentant. You're coming and you're offering burnt offerings, and then you're going out and just living whatever way you want. You really don't care. And God says, whenever you do that, it's like letting off a stink bomb in my presence. I just find it obnoxious. It's a stench that gets up my nose. On the other hand, when we come before God, genuinely repenting of our sin and wanting to live a different way and wanting with God's help to live in a way that pleases him, he says, that's an aroma that is pleasing to me. So God says the aroma of our prayers and the aroma of our repentance is pleasing to him. But also in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians, it talks about the aroma of our witness. But thanks be to God, Paul says, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death. To the other an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? So again, Paul is saying here is that the good news of the gospel in Christ is a pleasing offering. It's a fragrant offering that we are able to offer into the wider world. For those who are longing to know God, it's something beautiful and attractive, something they want to know more. For those who are rebellious and don't want to know anything about God, then sometimes the actual truth of the gospel almost becomes offensive to them because they don't want to hear and understand the truth of the gospel itself. So three aromas that God loves, the aroma of our prayers, the aroma of repentance, and the aroma of our witness. And the fourth one, and the last one I want to look at this morning, is the aroma of our love. In Ephesians 5, I think verse 1, Paul says, The love of Christ expressed in his sacrifice upon the cross of Calvary. And this is how he puts it. Follow God's example, he says to the church at Ephesus. As dearly loved children, and live a life of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering 
and sacrifice to God. That's an amazing verse. It's saying that whenever Jesus sacrificed his life upon the cross and demonstrated his love for the world, that was a fragrant smell in the heavenly realms. It was a beautiful aroma in the heavenly places. And likewise, he's exhorting the people of God to demonstrate that same sacrificial love. And as we do, that will be also a fragrant offering acceptable to God. Don't you love the story in the Gospels where Mary comes and she takes a pint of pure nard. In John 12, uh, we'll probably be looking at this in more detail in a couple of weeks' time. But Mary took about a pint of pure nard, uh, of perfume, an expensive perfume. This was no old spice that poor students can afford. This was expensive perfume. She poured it on the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Of course, some people thought it was you know, outrageous that she did such a thing. But I love that closing line. It says, the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And even though there were people that muttered and complained about her expression of worship, Because of her deep love for Jesus, Jesus actually comments on it and says, she has done a beautiful thing for me. And as she performs this beautiful act of worship, the whole room was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And in one sense, that's what I want to encourage us to do and to be as a congregation. About a year ago, uh, the church meeting adopted these values that are on the banner on the side wall. And uh, we tried to encourage you at that time and through a series of sermons to try and live out these values within our congregation and within the wider community. So one of the things we said was that what we believe, what we believe about God is defined in our basis of faith. That's foundational to who we are as a church. What we believe about the nature of God, what we believe about the person and work of Jesus Christ, what we believe about the Holy Spirit, what we believe about the church itself, our basis of faith, what we believe is foundational to who we are. And that's contained in our basis of faith. And then what we do is there in our vision statement. And for those who are perhaps who are relatively new to the church, it's expressed in four key areas, which are the four key areas in our church logo. The navy, the yellow, the green, and the purple. Um, So there are four key areas. 
our motto is striving to follow Jesus. But if we're going to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, then that needs to be expressed in these four areas. We need to be a church that's committed to glorifying worship. We need to be a church that's expressing authentic community. We need to be a church that's going out and embarking in holistic mission. And we need to be a church that's committed to lifelong learning. And those four key areas are fundamental to who we are as a church. Learning, discipleship, mission, local and overseas, authentic community, and also glorifying worship. The four key areas that encapsulate all that we do as a congregation. And then our values was about how we do what we do. So the values aren't saying these are all the things that are important to us. But what we're saying is that these values are how we do what we do. So whether it's in our home groups, whether it's working in the food bank, whether it's working with young people at FNL, all that we do as a congregation internally and externally, how do we do that? We do it through the expression of these values. And so almost two years ago, the elders spent quite a long time at an away day and at a couple of other meetings looking through the Gospels and looking through the epistles and trying to identify what we felt were some of the key characteristics of what it means to live out our Christian lives together and within the wider community. Some of the words have been expressed in contemporary language. For example, integrity. Integrity is not a Bible word, but it's really a contemporary definition of holiness. Holiness is living a life that's in sync with our calling, that what we say and what we do are together, a life of integrity. And so it's really important for us to be reminded again. And that's the reason why um, the banner's been put up in the, in, the, in the congregation, so that Sunday by Sunday by Sunday, we can be reminded, not of what we do or what we believe, but that we can be reminded of how we ought to do what we do. And so in every room in the building, you'll see a couple of these somewhere on the wall. There are some little sneaky ones at the bottom of the wall, and even in the toilets, you'll find them. Okay, so in every room in the building, in the offices and the kitchens and in every room, there'll be at least a couple of these words. And uh, just to remind us of how we ought to live. Because what's really important is that we also are a church that smells well. So whether it be internally, and it was lovely at the newcomer's lunch uh, last Sunday, I was sitting with someone that I really hadn't met before. 
And I said, look, why did you start coming to the church in the last few weeks? And, and how did you find it? You know, be honest with me. And it was lovely to hear her talk about the warmth and the welcome and, and uh, you know, both for her and for her daughter and, and just a number of positive expressions about that sort of sense of, yeah, of just warmth and coming back to the church for the first time after many years. You see, initially when someone comes into the life of our church, you know, they don't initially say to us, well, what do you believe? What's your basis of faith? They may well do that further down the line. And they are interested in what we do, but that's not ultimately why people come to this church and stay here. It's because here they sense something of the values that are there in the person of Christ and that God encourages us to live out. So I just pray that as we try and live out these values, that people might say, that church, it's filled with the fragrance of Christ. That's what it's about. That's what we're trying to convey. And that as we engage in the wider community, that again, people might even see beyond sometimes the things that we do. And actually, what marks us out is how we do them. And so, we haven't time this morning to run through each of these values. We will probably focus on uh, one at a time in the church magazine and try and tease out what that looks like in different contexts within the life of the church. But love... As God's love thaws our souls, warms our hearts, and sets our spirits ablaze so that our love spills over to others in ways that may be costly and sacrificial. And then we talk about gentleness. I probably should have done them in the order that they're on the banner, but anyway. I, I, I love this. This is one of the ones that I have up in my office. Um, I, I can't suspect that there's any corporate organization that has gentleness as part of its values. You may remember a couple of years ago I preached a sermon on the gentleness of God because they're at the very heart of the ministry of Christ. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. And in fact, if you read through the epistles, there's hardly an epistle that doesn't mention gentleness as something that ought to characterize the people of God. And so we've said, we recognize that as a congregation we live in a broken world and are part of a generation of wounded people. In such a context, we are moved by the gentleness of Jesus as he reached out to the bruised and the broken, the weary and the burdened. And then also humility. It's very hard for us to write home about how good we are at this. It's rather counterproductive but it's important. And again, we say, 
we are seriously challenged by the example of Christ, who humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so one of the things we have, as that's being teased out, is, do you know, we have confidence in the Bible. We have confidence in the gospel. But we don't have all the answers to every question. We are always learning and growing as we walk our journey of faith. We don't want to be a church that's tainted with arrogance or pride, thinking that we're the only church that's doing anything worthwhile in this community, that we're the only church in this area where Jesus is exalted, that we're the only church where someone can come to know Christ. That sort of arrogance is counter to Jesus. And so we want as a congregation for that sense of humility to be there in our lives also. I mentioned integrity. In Jesus, we see the character of God fully revealed. And in him, we see a perfectly balanced life where the words that he spoke were totally in sync with the claims that he made. As a church, we're called to live like him so that the fragrance and beauty of Christ might be evident in all. Generosity. We serve a God who has given so much more than we could ever imagine or deserve. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. We have discovered his love and mercy and grace, which is not only life-transforming, but provides us with the eternal hope in Christ. And so we do want to be generous, but not just in terms of finance and in terms of our time, but also, as we have written down in one of our papers, we want to believe the best of one another and to be generous toward one another in our opinions and attitudes. And in fact, we also refuse to give up on any person because the great of God is subversive and has the power to transform. If we believe in the generosity of God's grace revealed to us in Christ, we need to demonstrate that generosity of grace to others also. And I love this one, courage. Again, for the sake of so many people in our community and beyond who haven't discovered the God who loves them deeply, constantly, and without limits, we will be ready to take big risks in sharing the good news and in using God-given gifts. So, for example, we'll not be afraid as a church, and particularly as deacons and elders, to step out in faith and to take risks and to release others into what God has for them. We will be a church that dreams big dreams and is willing to try something new as we move beyond what is safe and familiar. We will recognize failure as a chance to learn and an exercise in stepping out of the boat onto the waters of faith. Don't you love that picture? 
delight. Our core identity is as much-loved children of God. And so our desire for time and eternity is to be worshipers who give pleasure to God. And so we want this to be a church where we pursue joy in our relationships with one another and where we celebrate the beauty of the world in which we live. We want to be a church that's creative and colorful, passionate and vibrant, striving for excellence as an expression of our worship. We want to be a church that's full of life and fun. A church is able to laugh at ourselves. A church characterized by delight. Of course, to do that isn't easy. And every day of the week, we will fail at some level. In fact, someone spoke to me through social media uh, yesterday or the day before, saying the problem is if we say, look, this is who we want to be, people are going to buttonhole us and say, but you say you're meant to be a loving church, but actually that's not my experience. Or, you know, you say that you're a church characterized by generosity, but actually my experience is... And of course that can happen. We're not perfect. We are a broken church, living in a broken world, seeking with God's help to be the best that we can be. But nevertheless, with the help of God's Holy Spirit, we don't want to just almost not bother or just to take the easiest path. We want to say, this is who we are. This is what we believe. This is what we do. And we want to try and do it as Jesus would have done it. And so C.S. Lewis, again, has the last word. Relying on God has to start all over every day as if nothing has yet been done. And so that's true for us as a church. We've got to start today and tomorrow and the next day in our personal lives in our corporate lives to try and live out these values with one another and before a watching world. And I think in terms of Scotland in 2019, in terms of a community that's cynical about the Christian faith, we need not just to tell the gospel, but we need to show the gospel by how we live. I believe that if we are able to live displaying these values, that will be something that is fragrant and attractive and beautiful, not only for other believers who want to be part of this congregation, but also to a wider world who are looking at us as Christians and saying, but do I see anything of Jesus in what you do? Because most people find Jesus attractive, but sometimes they struggle with the church. And so we are called to be a fragrant offering to the world in which God has put us. And may even this room be filled with the fragrance of the perfume as we offer up our worship and our devotion to Christ. So let me pray and then we're going to sing that lovely little song, May the Fragrance of Jesus. It takes you back 
a few generations, perhaps. And, uh, but we'll sing it through twice, and maybe the second time if we change the me to us or whatever way we have to do it. I'm sure David will lead us in that. But let's take a moment to pray. Father, sometimes we, we fail to recognize even those little occasions in Scripture where our prayers and our repentance, our love for you, our witness for you, is like sweet incense in the heavens. Thank you for reminding us of that beautiful picture when Mary anointed your feet with the most beautiful of perfume and the house was filled with the fragrance of her worship. Father, help us by your Holy Spirit not just to do the right things, but to do the right things in the right way so that something of the fragrance of Christ will be evident in our lives, both individually and as a congregation. For we ask it in your name.